Today on the Arts Report, the Vancouver International Writers Festival is coming up, and we've got interviews with Juzi Gardner, Charlotte Gill, Thomas Pletzinger, Jen Suk Fongli, and Dennis E. Bolin. Yes, it's huge. Plus, we've got Us and Them, which brings theater for social change to the cult, and also Art Equals Liberation opens up at the Baron Gallery. Plus, we've got free tickets to Reunion at Pacific Theater and Puss in Boots in theaters soon, so stay with us. Well, hello, and welcome to the Arts Report for October the 19th, 2011. The Arts Report is your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. My name is Adam Janusz, and uh, I've got a co-host with me today because it's a big, it's a big day. It's a big show, and uh, Megan Thomas, our books correspondent, is here. Hello. Hey. How you doing? Good. So we needed to bring in, you know, for heavy lifting, um, <clears throat> we needed to bring you in because um, I, I alone could not handle the extreme amount of books content on today's show. It's an entire week preview of books. It's amazing. It's huge. Yeah. So we're going to have interviews, as I said in the, in the opening there, with people like... Dennis E. Bolin, Jen Sukfong Lee, and Juji Gardner. We yes. also have Thomas Pletzinger and uh, Charlotte Gill, so it's an amazing lineup. It's going to be great. And, um, sorry, my voice is um, kind of uh, screwed up still today. I had uh, strep throat two weeks ago. I had a cold, so this is great for the listeners. There's <laughs> a lot of sick people on the air. It's great. You can't catch it. So other things on the show is also we're going to tell you about Us and Them, which is a theater event that is designed to bring in community dialogue. And uh, they're doing a, a show at uh, the Culch. And that's going to be extremely <clears throat> exciting and interesting. And plus, we'll tell you about uh, an art exhibit called Art Equals Liberation, which deals with the automatiste movement in Montreal. And that's coming to, that's um, currently at uh, the Baron Gallery in Vancouver. So that's going to be wonderful as well. So, Megan, when is uh, the Writers' Fest? Well, it actually started officially last night uh, <coughs> with an amazing event that I will tell you a little bit about. And uh, then it goes till the 23rd, so that's this Sunday. There's tons of events, over 50 events. 50 uh, events? I know, it's It's huge. not a lot of days, though. No, you're going you're gonna to have to make some hard choices. <laughs> some painful, bitter choices that will fill you with regret. Yes, so that's a great worry. preview for the fest, Adam. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, now, uh, before we get to all that, um, I have to let everyone know that we're giving tickets away to not just one, but two shows. Um, the Union, I said Reunion at the top of the show. It's called The Union, and it's playing at Pacific um, Theater. The tickets are for October the 22nd, and we want to give you a pair to see Reunion there. Ooh, I, my voice cracked. Nice. I'm going through pre reading. Um, Happy also, Bernitza. Mm-hmm. Puss in Boots is also coming to theaters on October the 28th. And there's an advance screening on October the 22nd at 10.30 a.m. So we want to give you a pair of these giant, uh, paper, like, full um, sheet of paper-sized passes um, to see Puss in Boots. The you know screening. it's good when the pass is an entire sheet of paper. Yeah. That's how it works. It's a si there's a size correlation. Size matters, guys. The, the bigger the ticket, the better the event. Yeah. Uh, it's a well-known fact. Piss and Boots is looking good, ladies, too. He's got his hat on. It's good. It's going to be a good show. 
Right. So before we get on to more of this um, shenaniganry, chicanery? You're literary, is that a word? Well, shenanigans, chicanery <laughs> kind of implies that we're trying to trick people into seeing Puss in Boots, which, of course, they're going to want to see anyway, because right. Puss in Boots, it's amazing. Whereas shenanigans? Shenanigans is like tomfoolery. And hijinks. Exactly. All right. So before we get to more of those words we just listed, we uh, want to let you know that we'll be giving these tickets away uh, after this commercial break. Not this one right now, but after uh, the first commercial break of the show, after that, we will be giving tickets away to both uh, Puss in Boots and The Union. Um, so stay tuned for that. But uh, we must get on with the show because, uh, as I said, it is so much books content uh, this week that we must, uh, we, we just got to get rolling. But uh, that's ironic uh, because we're going to start with uh, something that has nothing to do with books. Um, oh, good. Yeah, us and them. Let me tell you about it. Oh, I'm excited. You should tell everyone, not just me, though. <laughs> All right, I won't look at you. I'll look at the audience. Okay. Headlines Theater is about theater for social change and was founded in 1981, which makes it 30 years old this year, uh, by David Diamond. It is based on the work of his close friend, Augusto Boal, who created the Theater of the Oppressed model in Brazil, which uh, uses theater as a tool to explore political and, s and social issues and is used all over the world today. Over the years, Headlines Theatre has evolved from theatre of the oppressed to theatre for living, taking into account the whole multifaceted system that is a community. Uh, currently, they're doing an event called Us and Them, a follow-up to last year's Us and Them, The Inquiry. Now, this version combines stage actors and audience interaction and will be at The Culch. Uh, I spoke to Lisa Lindgren, the outreach coordinator for Headlines Theatre, and we talked about Headlines being kind of a big deal. Like, they're in theatre textbooks. They're kind of historic. Um, as well as, uh, we talk about how this incarnation of Us and Them will look at not only pervasive social issues like uh, bullying and racism, but even our recent Stanley Cup riot. But first, uh, here she is explaining how Headlines Theatre works in communities. Yeah, whenever, usually when we go into different communities, we go and, and um, we have an invitation saying we want to, maybe there's someone wants to do something on uh, family violence and have a community dialogue about family violence in their community. So what we do is we go in, we do a workshop with people, and in the six-day process, we create um, little mini plays that are then going into interactive performance on the last, last day. Um, and, and in the same way we do with our main stage production, if we have, it's, it's a little bit bigger, like it's a longer, it's an actual kind of longer play, yep. um, and it's produced a little bit more. We have a, a professional design team and, um, and stuff like this, but it's, but it is all about the, the, the participants and the, the people that are kind of creating this based on, not based on their life, but they're bringing in their life experience into the play. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And <laughs> now I went to... Uh, us and then the inquiry last year and what was interesting about it for me was that at the end of it it didn't necessarily leave me with a warm and fuzzy feeling that i had you know seen like this nice packaged play and then it was over and then i thought well that was an interesting <laughs> tale you know if anything it, yeah. it, it left me with more questions and kind of um had my my mind racing more than it had when mm -hmm. i went in and, and and i'm guessing that's kind of the point is it yeah, I mean, you know, it's. Um, I think our, our our performances and stuff. It's not, you know, we always deal with kind of hard to talk about hot button topics right. in some in some sort. And and for sure, we want people to be engaged and to be 
so yeah, maybe maybe that feeling is a good <laughs> a good feeling. Hopefully, if it also affects change somehow. Um, but you know, that being said, I, I also I've been to a lot of the kind of performances that uh, that headlines has done, and it's been you know it's it's hard, but it's also quite fun. It's a mm-hmm. it's a fun process. Uh, but for sure, it's you know when you see a, a theater and you see the kind of the beginning and the middle <laughs> and the end and and you go home and it's it's everything is solved and you don't have to really think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, where and you kind of consume that event and then you're done. Whereas we really want people to be able to use this and to come and and really be part of it all and also bring it out of the theater and bring it into their own lives. That's always our hope. Right. So, so yeah, <laughs> that feeling is a good thing, thing you know. <laughs> oh, good. I had the right experience then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. Now, at that time, it, it was there were no actors in the in the show that I went to. It was just people from mm-hmm. the audience, and, and a story was chosen, and then we from the audience helped to bring that story to life and examine it. Um, mm-hmm. How will uh, the upcoming show be different from that? So yeah, the, the the performance that you went to last year is the the beginning of a two year project. Mm-hmm. Actually, so us and them is a two year project. Um, it started with those those kind of events too, where you said that there was no audience, and then, um, but it's culminating now in this performance that is going. There is actually going to be a play this time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that is, um, and we so what we did is we we did a call out to various communities across Metro Vancouver. And we got, I think, 185 or so applications to be part of this, both the community workshop and also to be part of the cast, which is uh, quite a lot for headline, the headlines show. Right. Uh, wonderful and overwhelming response. Uh, and uh, we you know, met with about 40 people to, to then find the six cast members. And so what happened is that we, we started with a community workshop where the six cast members and 12 community workshop participants came in to till the soil of the, <laughs> of the issue of us and them, because it's obviously a very wide topic. Um, and so, and, and after that, we went into the rehearsal process. And now what is happening is that uh, we're getting, we're opening next week, so we're getting really close to to actually having a, a play that is going to be the same every night. The play is going to be the same every night. But mm-hmm. it, as opposed to maybe a regular theater, it's actually going to be a play that offers no solutions. Mm-hmm. It's going to offer a lot of questions. Uh, and so what we want is the audience to come in and, and come in with the solutions and ideas of how to build bridges between right. us and them. And tell me about that part. How, how is this audience interaction, how is that going to manifest? What does that look like? Yeah, so well, they'll see first the play. It's about okay. four, 40, 45 minutes long, I think. Um, and then we'll go straight into the interactive uh, part. And so what happens is you see the play played a second time. But this time, the audience have the opportunity to yell stop when they see a, a character struggling somehow. Mm-hmm. And they understand that struggle. And they have an idea of how to, create, uh, how to build a bridge between us and them or how to build bridges even within ourselves <laughs> uh, so an audience member is yell stop and instead of saying you know I think X should do this to Y you know, instead you come in and you, you take the place of the character on the playing area and try out your idea wow um, yeah so you can actually in that way change the way the story unfolds so it's a pretty neat uh, it's a pretty neat process and um, you know we every night is different I know a lot of uh, people go in different nights because even if the play is always the same that first 45 minutes the rest of the event is mm-hmm. always different because it depends on who's the, in the audience right and the, and the choices that they make and, and what they offer mm-hmm. exactly exactly wow that sounds really yeah. interesting 
Well, is there anything else you'd want to add about uh, about us and them? Well, um, we do know some things about. <laughs> it is uh, we don't. We do know that it's taking place in um, uh, sort of on the in the wall of healing after after the riots, and I think that it's, it's hmm. it has taken inspiration of the the Vancouver riots that happened, the Stanley Cup riots. Really? How how um, so? Just in terms of the wall of healing and what happened, and and also that kind of did the riot was it really about hockey? Um, and 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 so that's the kind of the question that is being asked. And then you know through through a series of these human moments, we understand the issues of these six character in, interface face um, inside themselves and with each other, often coming back to kind of the, the rioting. Um, so it's it's basically we could say that the the physical place that they're in is the the wall of healing, but the riot is kind of the emotional place where the characters are. Right. Yeah. Um, and is this and part of the, the the story portion of 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 the show? Yep, there is ah. some some. You know, it's it's not based on the Vancouver riots, but mm-hmm. it's inspired by it. And that is Lisa Lindgren telling us about Us and Them coming to the Cult. Now, before I tell you about uh, Showtimes and that jazz, um, I want to let you know that there is going to be a live streaming webcast of one of the uh, performances of Us and Them. So anyone in the entire world um, can participate. And I say participate not in just a generous way of like, yeah, you can watch it. No, I actually mean you can participate because... You can, via Twitter, etc., you can contribute to the, the dialogue, because there's a sort of dialogue-y portion, as you heard uh, in the interview. There's a dialogue-y portion, <laughs> dialogue-y, um, in the show, an interactive portion, that's what I meant to say, with the audience. And so people who can't make it can still be a part of that interactive audience, and they can contribute ideas. And then there are specially selected actors who are there just to pay attention to the web feed, and, and and so they're listening to the contributors online, and then they go on stage to represent the ideas of the people. Isn't that it's, amazing? It's a brave new world. It really is. Yes. So let me tell you when this is all going down. There's a preview of us and them at the Culture on October the 20th at 8 p.m. Otherwise, it's going on... Oh, I don't have a proper list here. That's embarrassing. Until November the 12th. Um, I'm guessing from October the 20th until November the 12th. Let's go with that. And um, so as I said, a preview on October the 20th at 8 p.m. That is tomorrow. There are 2 p.m. matinees on October the 26th, the 30th, and November the 2nd. The live interactive webcast is on the 12th at 8 p.m. And um, tickets are $20 for adults, students, and seniors. It's $15. And the matinees and the preview, that's tomorrow night, is $10. So you can get get tickets from tickets.thecultch.com. And you can get more information on how the global webcast works by going to headlinestheater.com. All right. So we're going to take a short break. Oh, and I did promise that uh, we were going to give some tickets away. Should we do... Maybe we will. Maybe we'll do that now. I'm excited. For Puss in Boots? Oh, yeah. Are you being sarcastic? 
Anyway, so we're going to take a quick break, but I will give out the phone number. We'll, we'll try to give out... I, I have two sets of Puss in Boots, so... Um, I will have to say that I love festival cinemas. I'm just having a good time. Okay. So the phone number... It's too late now. You can't redeem yourself. Uh, the number is 604-822-2487. That's 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBCCITR. And uh, call us during the break, and we'll give you tickets to Puss in Boots as well. Later in the show, we'll give tickets away to Pacific Theater's uh, production of The Union. All right, so stay with us, and we'll, we have uh, Vancouver International Writers and Readers Festival coverage coming up. Woot. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Flaming Angels Boutique, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, RX Comics, Temple of the Modern Girl, and The Wallflower Modern Diner. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. You are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and online at citr.ca. And now we are ready to open the doors on the uh, Readers and Writers Festival. Megan, you are here to give us the scoop. I sure am. Books, books, books. There you go. So it's official now. Nice. Talking about books. I love having an intro. I think I might just get something recorded for wherever I go. So, um, yeah, the Vancouver International Writers Fest. Um, it's an amazing event. It's in its 24th year. And actually, last year we got to, la- pardon me, last week we actually spoke to one of the authors of one of the events. Yes, uh, we did. Kevin Chong. Kevin Chong, yes. And, Which uh, you can get now at our podcast at citr.ca. You sure can. Thanks, Sorry. Adam. Go on. So anyway, uh, last night I went to an amazing event called Vancouver Scene. And this is an event that focuses on Vancouver writers, uh, writers that feature Vancouver in their work. And uh, last week we talked to Kevin Chong. He's one of those uh, writers that was at the event. And I actually got to speak to all four. So I'm very excited. Thank you to everyone. Four for four. I know. So um, I actually talked to Dennis a little bit about the very high volume of Vancouver writers uh, at this year's festival. Obviously, they invite people from around the world. But I'm glad that we really are getting to show off our scene, as it were. Mm. Vancouver scene. That's a pun, guys. (laughs) S-E-E-N. I love it. So anyway, let's listen to what he had to say about that. Uh, Hal Week has mentioned in a couple of his public uh, pronouncements on the programming this this year that there are more uh, BC and specifically Vancouver Lower Mainland writers featured at the festival this year than I think ever before. You know, he's, it's still very international, lots of people coming from all over the world, etc. But uh, you know, much to the great, uh, like to, to to the delight of us uh, locals, um, there's more of us involved this year. Well, I know anticipated results is a lot like a Vancouver treasure hunt. I don't go out of my way to mention uh, Vancouver landmarks or anything like that, etc. I mention places in Vancouver where mm-hmm. my characters are going, etc. This, that, the other thing, you know, like Granville and Broadway, they walk past it. Just as a reference point, I, I guess for myself, you know, it, it's, it's important when you're writing to, to keep a geographical bearing where you are and uh, when you are, you know, uh, as much as anything else. So that, that's why I, I use Vancouver is because I happen to live here. And you, you can stay real by, by, by knowing your own landscape and having your characters move about in a familiar place. 
Yeah, Dennis is amazing. Um, last night, uh, they all did readings from their work, and uh, his reading, I have to say, was, was amazing. He's spending a lot of time in the poetry scene lately. Um, he's actually doing a lot of uh, spoken word and music. Uh, he's part of the Drive Project with his wife. Um, his so reading is amazing? Like his, it's not just the content, but the way he reads? Yeah, he's, an, he's actually quite the performer, so I encourage everyone to check him out. He's actually going to be presenting um, uh, anticipated results again at another event, uh, My Generation. So that is going to be uh, happening uh, during the festival, and I actually have the date, and I'll give that to you again um, next time I'm on air right now. But uh, yeah, they talked a lot, a lot of things last night. They talked about c community. They talked about, you know, making money as a Vancouver writer and how Vancouver is seen uh, abroad. And I actually talked to another one of the writers, uh, Jen Sukfong Lee. Uh, she has written an amazing uh, novel called The Better Mother. It's her third uh, book and uh, is, is excellent. Um, and so her, here's her talking a little bit about her experience in Vancouver. I think it went really well. We had a lot of, um, I think we had a lot of interesting things to say about Vancouver and about writing and uh, what writers mean to each other, and I mean, we segued into things like leaf blowers, so you know that's always fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your event, Bamboo Lettering? I know you're going to be there with uh, Kevin Chong. Yeah, that actually, the name of that event was hilarious to me because uh, when they tell you what you're going to be doing at the festival, they don't uh, immediately tell you what the event's going to be about. They just tell you what the name of it is. <laughs> and when I saw that it was called Bamboo Lettering, uh, and I saw who was on the uh, panel with me, I was like really really <laughs> and i thought to myself that had better be ironic like okay fine it's ironic and strange but also um strangely earnest in a way as, as all writerly events in canada usually are um so it was yeah i think we're gonna have some fun with it i mean i think all three of us uh, me and kevin and ling shang come from very different perspectives on what um writing about uh, your ethnicity or writing about being chinese uh, really actually means um and I kind of feel like, you know, Ling Zhang is a sort of on one end of uh, the equation, like she's sort of uh, what I think people from uh, mainland China or from Hong Kong right now perhaps uh, want to read or want to write. And then Kevin is like at the other end mm -hmm. um, where he's like, you know, um, writing things that are, you know, uh, very specifically Canadian. And I'm like somewhere in the middle. Like I'm, I'm like the person who sits on the fence, doesn't take a side. <laughs> You know, you're, or maybe you're taking both sides. You're open-minded. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you know what? I just want everyone to get along. <laughs> that's so Canadian. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so, as uh, as you heard, Jen will be at another event with Kevin Chong, Bamboo Lettering, and that is going to be. Um, also at the Writers' Fest this year, and I'll recap all of this at the end, all the different events, so you guys can write it down. Um, and yeah, and she's also going to be doing a reading in the UBC uh, reading Robinson reading series as well, um, so that's going to be really great, so you should check her out. Awesome. Okay, thanks, Megan. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. You're going to be back a little bit later on. Mm, you couldn't get rid of me if you tried. Oh yeah, you're going to be here the whole time. But I mean, you're going to also... <sighs> I can't get rid of you. But uh, specifically, you're going to tell us about an interview you did with... Juji Gardner. Juji. Oh, so exciting. Okay. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, we will take a short break, but uh, we want to give more tickets away. Uh, w by the way, we still have tickets for, for Puss in Boots to give away. We'll do that a bit later. But right now, we want to give tickets away to see Reunion at Pacific Theatre. Let me tell you about this. Pacific Theatre and Horseshoes and Gran Hand Grenades Theatre are thrilled to announce the world premiere of Reunion by Vancouver actor Sean Devine. 
a fiercely gripping and theatrical telling of Norman Morrison's self-immolation in protest to the Vietnam War. Okay, and that's running from October the 21st until November the 12th at Pacific Theater. Tickets are 16, range from 16.50 to 29.50. But if you call now, you can see this show for free. On Are you serious? Yes. You see it for free? Yes. Like, you won't even have to pay anything? Yes. Oh, my this goodness. This is what I'm saying. On October the 22nd, which is Saturday night at 8 o'clock. So, um, we're going to throw the number out to you. That's 604-822-2487. That's 604-822-2487. Call us right now, and we'll give you a pair of tickets to see Reunion at Pacific Theater. We'll be back with more books content. Wow. We'll be right back. The Biltmore Cabaret is your home for great live music in Vancouver. October is sure to be a busy month at the Biltmore. On October 6th, catch bands Hollow Moon, The Bleeding Hearts, and Pineapple, a supergroup featuring members of the SSRIs, Portage in the Main, and Prairie Cat. October 21st, jam out with Daydream Vacation, indie rocker Zeus, and local favorites Sun Wizard. For fans of the new pornographers, you won't want to miss band member Catherine Calder and special guest Anime Bell on October 27th. To round out your month, October 29th brings the band Nurses all the way up from Portland to share the stage with Dominant Legs. For more information on these and other shows, including how to get tickets, visit BiltmoreCabaret.com. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM, and we're streaming online at citr.ca. You can uh, download, uh, no, you cannot download, you can subscribe to our podcast um, and find out about our Twitter feed and our Facebook page and even our YouTube channel, which we, where we have some of our uh, best interviews. Um, and you can do that by going to citr.ca and, and uh, just uh, explore and follow, and follow the links. So uh, now I've got uh, our second books correspondent. Man, we are just busting the budget with Junior books. correspondent. <laughs> okay, Megan, settle. Settle down. <laughs> Put the fists away. Um, uh, Ariel. Hello, Ariel. Hey. Is it For- Fournier? Fournier, yeah. Yes. Ariel Fournier is our uh, junior uh Junior, yeah, it's fun. I can do books with correspondent. I'm gonna uh, take her. I'm gonna take her when I start my own show. We're gonna run away together. Hey, none of this plotting. Okay, we're all a big happy arts family here. Okay, so Ariel, um, mm-hmm. what do you have for us? I have an interview with uh, Charlotte Gill. So Charlotte Gill is the author of the book Eating Dirt, which is about her experience tree planting for 17 years. Um, she's the writer of the uh, short story compilation Lady Killer, and this is her first full-length book. So she's going to be at the mm. Writers' Festival as well. And, uh, yeah, so I spoke to her uh, this afternoon, actually, about about eating dirt and about the world of <laughs> about the book eating dirt i guess i should yes. specify Although, um, i'm sure it's disgusting i she probably did eat dirt while she was i think that the title is quite apt probably because <laughs> she's a writer and so yeah it probably actually meant something that yeah, she wrote all that of title. us starving artists we occasionally have to supplement our nutrition with um soil yeah that's right um so yeah she i'm sure she ate a lot of dirt a lot of mud um, and also planted some trees. Yeah, she might have planted some trees. She might have done in the that. Process. So uh, we talked about that. So here is uh, Charlotte Gill, author of Eating Dirt, and uh, I asked her about the world of tree planting, and here she is. 
when when I first saw that this book was about tree planting, it seemed to me uh, almost surprising that I hadn't seen more books about this before because tree planters seem to love talking about tree planting <laughs> and have a lot of stories about it. I was just wondering um, what made you take on this kind of daunting task of talking about all of tree planting? Well, I had I'd been planting trees for 17 years, if you can believe that. And for a lot of that time, I had been looking around for books about tree planting, and I'd found some novels, but I had really found no nonfiction treatment of the occupation. And I thought, why is there no story that tells about the life of tree planters, what we do, where we work? It's a very BC story, my, my book in particular. And uh, because I couldn't turn out any books, I decided, well, in the end, maybe I'll just sort of make one of my own. Um, the book is, uh, you know, it's it's nonfiction, and one of the th- reasons why I think there haven't been more books about tree planting is that the job itself is very repetitive, and it's manual labor, of course, and it's it can be very difficult on the face of it to make it an interesting story. But, um, you know, I think there are really remarkable things that happen to so many people out there in the field every day that it sort of almost, it was almost dismaying to me that no one had tried to tell that story before. So then, was that the reason why you decided to move um, after writing a book of short stories to have your first full book be non-fiction? Well, there's something about fiction that seems to demand really big, exciting, sometimes catastrophic events. And with non-fiction, I feel like the drama can be quieter and it tends to do this really amazing thing creative nonfiction does, a, a really incredible job of illuminating really everyday moments in human life and highlighting what is so wonderful about them. Not so much the superlative experience of just one person, but the remarkable experiences of a lot of people over time. Right. And um, But it's not just about people, it's also about... Um the environmental issues. Did you always know you wanted to have that the story of the forest be foregrounded? Uh, I think it took me a while to kind of figure out, to wrap my head around how I would actually do that. And the connection between the two stories was um, the seasons of the forest really closely mirror the working life of tree planters because, of course, our job is so tied to climate and weather and location, all of these things. And uh, those two stories seem to fit so well together, the seasons of the forest and the seasons of the tree planters. I see. Okay. Um, The thing that I was also wondering about is you do, um, you kind of address sort of the romantic ideas that people have about the job and then how they're sort of dashing away. And I it made me think of there's this line by this comedian I like where he refers to fruit, not tree planting but fruit picking as migrant worker fantasy camp and I thought yeah. it was kind of kind of interesting because you do point out quite early on um, actually how difficult it is in the in the US for migrant workers um, do you, who are doing very similar jobs and how you, these people aren't really trapped in quite the same way even though it's very difficult labor um, I I was just wondering do you think that how do you find it as a seasoned worker, seeing people come in with sort of romantic notions of what it means to do this kind of labor? 
Well, I don't think it lasts very long. I mean, certainly in my own case, I started planting trees when I was 19 years old, and I really had no idea what the job was. I think if I had known, I probably wouldn't have been so excited to go out and try it. I I don't think I knew. Uh, I think I just expected something that was like light hiking or, you know, spending the summer in the south of France or something like that. I really had no idea how laborious and dirty and bug-infested that it was. Uh, that said, you know, tree planters do, in Canada anyway, we do get paid pretty well, um, as opposed to, say, the people who do it in the United States, and they're mostly Mexican migrant workers. That is true. Um, but it, I can't speak for the experiences of like thousands of people, but I I certainly can't identify what it was for me that happened when I went out there the first year, and it was really an eye-opening experience. Well, so then why do people stick around? I mean, besides the money, do you think there's another reason? Well, I think probably it changes over time. Um, You know, the first time that I went tree planting, I may have harbored some kind of romantic notion about what it is that tree planters do. Uh, environmentally or just, uh, you know, I had ideas about how it might be good ecologically to plant trees. And then over time that began to change. I thought, okay, well, this is really a very efficient way of making money in a short period of time. And then as time went along, I really came to realize that I was attracted to the profession because it had something else that was really attractive to me. And I think it was just the intensity of the job. I knew that once I retired from tree planting, I would never have a lot of those experiences again. For every miserable physical part of the job, you know, we're often getting rained on and snowed on, and, you know, the work is very physical. But for all of those negative things, there was some equal and opposite reward. Like, uh, there is so much incredible wildlife. There's so many incredible landscapes in this country that I probably would never have seen under normal circumstances. <laughs> Just to finish off, are you are you still working in tree planting now? No, I retired about three years ago. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a topic. My husband is also a retired tree planter. It's a topic of a lot of nostalgia in our household. That we doesn't, I don't think a week goes by where we don't have some kind of conversation about where we would have been if, at that particular time of year if we were still doing the job. So that was Charlotte Gill, the author of Eating Dirt, her uh, nonfiction novel about tree planting. And she'll be at the Vancouver International Writers Festival tomorrow morning, actually, at 10 a.m. at the Granville Island stage for the event The Forest and the Trees with the author um, Andrew Nikiforek. Could That last name I'm a little tripped up on. But he is the author of uh, The Empire of the Beetle, which is about... Uh, bark beetles. Yeah, the pine so, beetle epidemic. Exactly. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a big it's deal. It's a big deal, yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they'll be both talking about kind of BC forestry and environmental issues. So okay. that that works well together. And then she'll also be at the nonfiction afternoon, which is going to be at 2 p.m. on Sunday at the review stage. Cool. Where can people go to get information on all of these events? On all of these events? They can go to the website for the... Writers Festival, which is writersfest.bc.ca. 
Cool. So, yeah, and then the programs are floating around, so you can probably also <laughs> just pick one of those up. Pick one up from the sky as it's floating. Yeah, I mean, you know, like from a cafe or something. Yes. But, you know, maybe get someone to toss it to you if you, if you want it to feel like it emerged from the air. And if you have the urge to eat dirt, don't do it. Just read the, <laughs> read the book instead. <laughs> That's okay. right. That's right. Less there's a there's a condition that is eating dirt, so you should probably talk to your doctor <laughs> if you want to eat dirt all the time. Just saying. Just PSA for everyone out there. That that's in like a disorder, a neurological that you're constantly that you want to eat dirt and lead and other non edible things. Is that what's the name for that? Okay, as our uh, books correspondence gets <laughs> uh, get further into crazy town. Okay, yeah, um, sorry. We're gonna take a break. Um, sorry, unless Ariel, unless you've got something else uh, right now. No, no, no. It's probably. Better that I gather my sanity. Yes. Let's give you a moment to gather your sanity. Sorry, that was my fault. I brought up the, uh, the eating dirt thing. I totally unhinged done? our book's correspondence. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but we want to give you these tickets uh, away to see Puss in Boots, an advanced screening on Saturday at 10.30 in the morning at Festival Cinemas Park Theatre. Uh, the film comes out on October the 28th, but we've got these lovely um, sheet of paper-sized passes to give away. So if you want to see Puss in Boots, um, you and a friend, do give us a call right now. The number is 604-822-2487. 604-822-2487. I wonder if the phone's going to ring out loud again like it did before. That was really weird. Uh, speaking of which, that was uh, Stephen who rang us before and got the tickets to see Reunion at Pacific yeah. Theater. Woo! Congrats, Stephen. Enjoy the show on Saturday. Reunion is, um, is, um, is starting up. and No, it's Reunion. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was the union, but it's I reunion. Totally I was wrong. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Give us a call to get Puss in Boots. Uh, tickets la- number one last time is 604-822-2487. How do you write a good magazine article? Discorder is that magazine published by CITR 101.9 FM. In it, you'll find reviews of concerts and albums, stories about bands and artists, comics, and more including a comprehensive guide to CITR's program. In the October issue of Discorder, you can read up on great bands like Aunts and Uncles, Ghost House, and Yukon Blonde, cruise the oral history of Mint Records, and enjoy the fabulous cover story of Shimmering Stars. And don't miss the contributors' meeting September 29th at 6 p.m. in the CITR lounge. Come one, come all. Discorder is available all over the fine city of Vancouver. For a complete list of distribution locations, why not go online to discorder.ca? And we're back on the Hearts Report here on CITR, your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews every Wednesday at 5 p.m. And uh, this is a good time to tell you that next week, on next week's show, we will be having a Halloween special. Yep, so we're going to tell you about shows such as The Parade of Lost Souls, the Here Be Monsters Festival, and a haunted house called the House of Fairy Bad Things. Fairy being spelled like uh, like fairy dust, yeah. Are you going to dress up, Adam? As a fairy? Yes. How did you know? I know. Because I have wings at home. Yep, that's it. Anyway, are you being... Are you... Anyway... <laughs> Um, so, so yes, yeah, stay with us for next week's, uh, show, and we'll be doing a Halloween special. Also, uh, we want to remind you that, uh, Diwali, 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 um, Diwali. is, um, is, is, um, is, is on. It's, it's on, uh, this weekend there's going to be a ton of events, 
Um, so, so just Google Diwali and um, check out all the events going on uh, for that because they're all over the city and there's a lot of arts and uh, dancing and uh, food, free food, which is always a plus. All right, so Ariel, we've got more. Um, we got more to talk about uh, for the well for the Riders Fest in general. But we you've sure got do. one more um, interview for us. Tell us about that. I will. Uh, so Thomas Plutzinger is the author of Funeral for a Dog, which is his. Yeah. <laughs> what was oh, that? It just look? made me sad. I just, <laughs> Funeral well, for Dog. It, uh, it's an upbeat tale. Is that. it? Um, yeah, it's pretty funny actually. <laughs> um, it's but it's ironic. but it is also very sad. Yeah. Um, not not just because of the dog, although that is sad as well. Uh, the debut, this debut novel was a huge success, um, and it's translated from the original German into English by Ross Benjamin. Um, the book is a mix of interlocking stories about this reclusive children's book author who has this runaway success with this one children's book and then lives on a cabin in Spain and no one knows anything about him. And a then recluse. a journalist yeah. is sent to talk about him, and so it's about the journalist's story and his story and kind of how their lives intersect and all about these kind of 30-somethings figuring out their lives. That actually sounds quite so, good. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, and so it's set in New York, Hamburg, southern Brazil, and this Spanish vacation home. And the book is about mourning as well as these people just sorting themselves out. So I ask him about how... The uh, what he thought of the English translation of his book. So here's me and then him talking <laughs> about it. Awesome. This book was uh, translated from German. How do you feel like a North American audience has responded um, to this book, especially considering there's so much about so much of the book is set in the United States? Well, first of all, it's a it's an amazing translation. Uh, the translator's done a really really good job and and um because i speak english uh, a little and because i can uh, can read english um it, it it was it was great fun to see him at work and and um to to see how meticulous and and uh, yeah detail oriented he is and i feel like the the, the books actually gotten better in 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 english than in german um because we we erased some uh, some smaller uh, errors that every book has and and yeah it was fun to work with with Ross and um, I'm happy that this book is out in English now and re- the response so far um, has been really good as well um, I went uh, on a, a smaller tour in the in the states um, in April right after publication and now I'm in Canada and that's you know. I, I like what people uh, say about this uh, this book. Well, that's good to hear then. <laughs> um, partly why I asked this question is because I think that when um, an author um, or any artist represents um, 9-11, which is pretty mm-hmm. central to the, the book Funeral for a Dog, yeah. um, it can sometimes get very mixed reactions. Uh, what was your... What were you trying to do when you wrote, when you included 9-11 as such sort of a pivotal scene in the book? Well, um, I always find it difficult, and, and that's, that's probably what you're talking about. It's difficult to include uh, or to talk about uh, uh, 9-11 in, in art because so many people have done it and still do it, and 
um, very often this moment uh, becomes for the characters in, in fictional works that deal with 9-11, um, that day becomes a pivotal moment and, um, you know, a metaphor, and it has a lot of meaning and life changes. Uh, uh, very often happen, you know, on September 11th in fiction or film, and there are several examples for that. And um, I felt um, it's also important that people who are not directly uh, concerned by that, by by 9/11, um, they, they felt very, very scared as well. And um, but, but I didn't want to, you know, didn't want them to have. Uh, uh, a moment, a clear moment. They're just scared. They make no decision that day. Basically, they they feel their their world is is shaken, and and what they do is they don't change their lives. They do what they always do when when they feel insecure. They sit on a roof and drink beer. And um, I wanted this my description of of 9/11 to be maybe authentic. Um, and also, I didn't want it to be a lie, and I felt th- this was real, what people did, really what people did on 9-11, a lot of them. I mean, I'm not talking about the people who are directly concerned. You did make this about a, a children's book author. Um, why, why was it that he was a writer of children's books rather than a novelist, say? Um, because, Even though I he mean, did have, I guess he had his novel in the works, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the thing is, these are two characters, these are two men who deal with with their own experiences, with their own life in writing. They they try they try out different ways of, you know, talking about their lives in writing. The, one is a journalist and ethnologist, anthropologist, who takes a lot of notes and writes short articles and summarizes things. Um, and he feels that his note-taking does not fully grasp what he wants to say. The other one, the other character, Svensson, is a guy who uh, tried to tell a story of it, tell the story of his life. Like he tried to uh, um, um, write a novel or a short story collection that's pretty much unclear, um, but he, he tries to express himself in literature, and that also doesn't fully work for him. So at one point, he stops working on a novel and starts writing a children's book because he wants to simplify and because he wants to put in simple words and pictures what what his feelings are. And I think um, that's why, why he wrote his children's book and it, accidentally he became successful with it. Um, uh, this, it's basically a condensed, uh, for his, his condensed first novel, this children's book. Mm-hmm. In topic and 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 theme and um, maybe even imagery. Do you think that there's an element of your book that's kind of about growing up? I think that it is entirely about growing up. Um, it's not it's not so much about um, you know children becoming adults. It's really about how how uh, these young adults become you know fully equipped 35-year-old. <laughs> and I think that, you know, and they continue to grow up, I think, after after the book is finished. And one of the characters is, will be in my next novel, and she will definitely uh, be a grown-up by then. Okay. She isn't in, in Funeral for a Dog. She's a character. 
the 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 Finnish woman Tuli who amputates the dog's leg. I see. Okay, so she's going to reemerge in your next novel. She will reemerge, and you know, in my first book, she's a med student amputating a dog's leg. In my next novel, she will be uh, a surgeon uh, in a hospital amputating my pro- my next protagonist's leg. So uh, obviously, there's a theme in my novels. <laughs> So there's, that a, was, there's a theme in the novels. There right? sure is, yeah. Um, the, oh <laughs> Hold God. it together, Ariel. Okay, that was Thomas Pletzinger. He's the author of Funeral for a Dog. Uh, he'll be at the Vancouver Writers Festival. Go figure. Really? Wow. That's a coincidence. Yeah, so he'll be at Polyphony, the event which is on uh, Saturday with a whole host of writers um, talking about Polyphony. So that's a pretty broad non-category category so it's going to be a pretty diverse range of authors and that's going to be on saturday at 8 p.m at the waterfront theater so go check it out and if you want to check out any of these events you can always go to writersfest.bc.ca thank you ariel for that excellent uh, books coverage junior junior books juniorly excellent coverage no just just (laughs) no no just excellent um all right, now we've got one more uh, interview, and that's with the, um, the, the one, the only, Juji Gardner. But uh, before we get to that, I want to tell you that next week, uh, as I said before, we're going to do a Halloween special of uh, Halloween-related events around town, including the House of Fairy Bad Things. Not very bad things, fairy bad things. And um, this is the folks from In the, in the House uh, Festival. They do a festival of um, performing arts that happens in people's houses in the commercial drive area. And so they've, again, taken a house and transformed it into a um, sort of fantasy-inspired haunted house. So not your typical ghouls and and goblins, but instead um, fantastical creatures, um, such as fairies, um, and they do the haunting. So, yeah, it's a cool twist. Fairies are actually uh, mythologically cruel creatures, or at least amoral. Right. Most people think of the Disney... You know, Tinkerbell yeah. type thing, but that's not the case. Well, if you've seen Labyrinth, I mean, you know that. Come on now. There you go. So that's happening from October the 29th until the 31st, and tickets are $35 for adults and $30 for students and members. And you have to get there. Tours begin at 6.15 p.m. and start every half hour. And the thing is, the location is secret. So you have to uh, get tickets, and then all the information is uh, released to you. So it's very exclusive. So what you have to do is go to inthehousefestival.com, inthehousefestival.com, and uh, you can get more information there, and you can purchase tickets there as well and uh, find out exactly where to go. I think it'll be fairly exciting. (laughs) Okay, Megan, so uh, I understand you have... um, one more books-related interview for us. Man, and I thought I was zany on the show, but you just took the cake right there. If you guys don't think he's zany, you should see the vest he's wearing right now. <laughs> I took off the scarf that I had earlier, the puss, puss in Boots scarf that they gave me. That's the new thing around the station is those Puss in Boots scarves. It's the latest thing. So um, tell us <laughs> about... Uh, how do you pronounce her name? Juji. It's fun to say. It is really fun, but I, yeah, I just I have to be careful because I want to say it right. Juji. Yeah. Okay, and and Juji and Gardner, it's, it's so hard for me, but but she wrote a really awesome book. Um, what was it? Around Mr. Yanush. Hey, Come on. Yanush. 
Yeah, see? <laughs> Around, what was it, 1999, 1998, uh, All the Anxious Girls on Earth, yeah, which it was, I loved. I loved it was one of, uh, one of my most recommended books um, when I was working at bookstores, for, especially for young ladies, but of people of all, all kinds. And uh, it's, an, it's an amazing collection, and she's actually done another amazing collection, um, Better Living Through Plastic Explosives. And uh, it's, it's a little darker, it's a little more acerbic, but it's also uh, amazing and very funny um, and set almost exclusively in Vancouver. So um, she's actually a Giller Prize nominee. So Yeah, she is getting a lot of attention for this latest one. It's, it's a, as well... She should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked a little bit about a couple of stories in the book. Uh, we talked about what she's looking forward to for the uh, Writers' Fest, because it's always great. And, uh, yeah, she's just she's a lovely lady. So we're ready to go. Yes. One of the stories that stood out to me from your, from your book was Once We Were Swedes. And CITR listeners will love that she uses Zulu and Red Cat as a description of a, a certain type of young man and the certain type of young man that hangs out there. So no offense to anyone. I think it was lovingly described. I do, and I like those stores too. <laughs> so. I recently discovered Red Cat, which mm-hmm. is why I put it in the story. But I, I just, and this Christmas I bought a bunch of stuff there and I actually am looking to get a refurbished turntable from them. So I'm a big fan. Vancouver really lends a lot of flavor and really is a point of character development, I think, in your stories. Can you speak just a little bit about how the Vancouver landscape, both socially and physically, has, you know, inspires or adds to your short stories? Well, you've really nailed it because I do think of Vancouver in some of the stories as a character. And it, this goes back to all the anxious girls on earth there's a story in there called um city of my dreams Mm -hmm. and that story um is very much vancouver is possibly the protagonist of that story and and it at the time i was writing that i wasn't really liking vancouver all that much after moving here from toronto but via my hometown of calgary and Mm -hmm. then via university in ottawa so i was having a little struggle with the whole vancouver thing and by the time I got around to this book, so that was sort of my love-hate story to Vancouver. And then by the time <laughs> I... That makes sense. When I was writing the stories for this book, my relationship with Vancouver had evolved to one of um, appreciation and fascination. And what's really interesting is I think there's a real opportunity, well, in BC in general, which has been done through the, you know, kind of more the wilderness thing, but this, this, uh, this myth-making ability. But Vancouver is a city that for... For instance, I'm completely struck by the the dichotomies and the dualities of Vancouver. It's a city with, you know, you can look at the east-west divide. You can look at, and it and it's and it's not just physical space. It's demographic. It's zeitgeist, and the attitudinal divide in people. There's mm-hmm. there's real extremes, and we've seen that manifested for years and years. In, um, for instance, in Vancouver and BC politics, like it's it's there's a very colorful kind of. I don't know, a lot of forces up against each other. And then the other element that's fascinating is it's a very... Vancouver, as Doug Copeland has said, it's a, it's a, it's a city still becoming itself. Vancouver is one, of, is one of the quintessential 21st century cities because we are so on the edge. We've got the whole Pan-Pacific thing going. We've got the whole, you know, Silicon Valley North thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet... It's, there's always this, and this manifests itself in my stories, there's always this ch- thing that if you blink or if you stop looking for a few minutes, nature will reassert itself. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's another kind of 
you know, dichotomy there with the really, really ultra modern, ultra modern, uber modern, mm -hmm. and nature. That it's this kind of can't be kept down force, and we. I think part of that benefits Vancouver and part of it's an uneasy alliance. So that's some of the stuff that makes Vancouver really interesting to write to write about, to set things in, but also use as a, as a character. You know, even if you're not intensely familiar with every nook and cranny, you're going to be able to recognize parts of your life in the landscape. And so it's really, it really lets the reader delve in. Oh, here's a really funny story that's about the City of My Dreams, which uh -huh. we talked about in my, my first collection. And uh, it's a very Vancouver story. Mm -hmm. And what's really funny is more than one person who, you know, people say, oh, you know, how does your stuff travel when it's so specific, right? But the book, you know, got bought up in the U.S. and whatever. But a lot of people I know, a big handful of people I talk to, Torontonians who read it, just because I never say Vancouver. No. They assumed it was L.A. <laughs> I never, at that point, I have subsequently, at that point, I'd never even been to L.A. That's so so that's interesting. People will just make of it what they will. There's a very distinct, I think, um, obviously different cities have different flavors, but there is a certain flavor of just the urban experience that I think translates no matter what city. I find it interesting that Toronto people would be more connected emotionally somehow with L.A., like, that's where they go to immediately. In but their minds. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, but I, in a way, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I am driven by a sense of, um, it's, there's a lot of satire, but not, mm -hmm. it's not Bahan chunk, like, you know, really broad satire. It's, but I'm using the, the device of satire mm -hmm. to do various things. But I'm, I'm largely as a person and a writer driven by, by fear and anxiety and worry. Aren't we all? Yeah. I mean, it's a really, <laughs> It's a real condition of our age, and uh, when you mention some stories are set slightly in the future, um, I do, I do that for a couple of reasons. One is because you know it's really hard to write satire right now in a self-satirizing age. Mm -hmm. So when I I can if I push things forward and look, you know, set it slightly in the future or have it be slightly dystopian, I can kind of try to stay ahead of the curve mm -hmm. and kind of try to say, well, what if we, you know, what would happen, you know, five years, ten years from now if this kind of thing continues? And um, also just, I, I am interested in dystopias and I am interested in, you know, what we have wrought as humans and how that's going to be brought to bear. Are you going to be able to have time to get to visit any of the events? Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any uh, any favorites that you that are coming up that you're excited about? Yeah, well, I mentioned I'm, I'm going Poetry Bash Two, mm -hmm. which is part of the One Two Five, and I I can't remember what night because I don't I'm not holding the schedule in my head. But Me neither, unfortunately. It's the, it's I'm the second one, and I I'm really excited. There's a number of poets I want to hear there, and especially especially Ken Babstock, mm -hmm. who is uh, like the most amazing, you know new but not new youngish Canadian poet <laughs> who's uh, actually uh, living in Berlin right now for a year and Madeleine Tien who's he studied here and they're both doing something cool in Berlin and so he's in town doing that and I just I've never heard him read except a long time ago and when we were colleagues at Banff at the Banff mm -hmm. Center uh, the 125 Canadian like the Vancouver book legacy book thing I'm interested in, I'm taking my son out of school for all of Thursday. We're going to play Writer's Fest Hooky, and I'm going to take him to a uh, mid-morning event with um, Charlotte Gill and Andrew Nikoforak, uh, moderated by Catherine Gretzinger. That's books about, you know, tree planting and our forests and the pine beetle and all this stuff. 
And then we're go- I'm going to go to one afternoon that I mentioned Lev Grossman with his Magician's mm-hmm, Book, and then mm-hmm. another author who writes, you know, older like stuff for adults or grade ten and up. My son's only in grade seven, but it, the genie's out of the bottle. He reads everything anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to those two, and I'm really excited about them, and I'm excited about having him play hooky and come with me. That's fantastic. And there's a few other things I've just, but those are highlights for me. That's fantastic. Um, I just want to thank you so much for coming in. It's been a real pleasure. Um, we are so excited to be able to promote uh, the local people and the local festival. And, and just, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of amazing international writers, but we like to keep it local here on the Arts Report. Yes, we do. Oh, yes. We like to keep it local and we like to keep it sexy. Yes, we do. <laughs> Can you tell us who that was? Anyway, yeah, Juju uh, was amazing. She actually came in for about half an hour, and so that's a cut-down version, so I'm sure we'll get you the full version Ooh, at some we'll point. Maybe put that up on um, Something on with less clicks and clacks. Um, yeah, she's a Giller Prize nominee and well-deserved, as I mentioned. She is also going to be at the Coast to Coast event at Performance Works, October 22nd at 10.30 a.m., and she, uh, in her own words, will be the lone short story writer and uh, the Vancouver rep, the BC rep there so please go and check her out um jan sukhan lee uh who did the better mother as i mentioned she will be at bamboo lettering and that's at the review stage 2 p.m october 22nd and that will be with kevin chong so they will be talking uh, a bit about uh chinese canadian-ness uh in their authorship and then dennis e bolin uh, anticipated results will be talking about his book um at the uh my generation event my jiji generation i believe is the reference there and at 1 to 2 30 p.m at the review stage uh, and that will be uh also an amazing event he and as i mentioned they're they're all great really fun uh, writers, and I think you should definitely check them out, as well as uh, whatever you can get to at the Writers' Fest. It's an, uh, it's an amazing way to bring the whole world to Vancouver. And check out some poetry, too. There's a Vancouver 125 poetry event, double event, and a really interesting event called Literary Cabaret at Performance Works, as well, where it's music and literature. So I couldn't, I couldn't choose. There's so many There's events. There's too many, and yeah. they're all packed into just a few days. But uh, for people who want to... Get info and everything that you just mentioned there in case they missed it. Writersfest.bc.ca. Nice. Holla. All right. Well, thanks, Megan. That <laughs> oh. Books, books, books. Yeah. That officially wraps up our books coverage for the show. But we have one more story to tell you about that is not books related, but is interesting nevertheless. Adam, don't, don't, don't we have to go, though? Oh, right. <gasps> so it is um, 6 o'clock, but luckily we've got, uh, we've got some bonus time. <gasps> That's so exciting. The bonus edition oh, of the Arts so Report. That's so good. And it starts now. So uh, let me tell you about this uh, show, this art show. It's uh, the, okay, I'll start by telling you this. The automatist art movement began in Montreal, Megan. Interesting. In the late 1940s, with artists drawing influence from French surrealism, but taking the style in their own direction. This movement was politically and artistically charged, even contributing to Quebec's quiet revolution. Artists in the movement included, and I'm going to list off some French names here, so bear with me, Jean-Paul Riopel, Marcel Barbeau, Magdalene Arbour, Claude Gavreau, and Pierre Gavreau. See, there's the sexy. One of, ladies, please. One of the artists currently being featured is Pierre Gavreau in the Art Equals Liberation exhibition at the Baron Gallery going on right now at, in, in Gastown. 
Our visual arts correspondent, Jean Yi, talked with Janine Caro. She is the other featured artist in Art Equals Liberation and Pierre's wife and partner for over 30 years. Jean uh, also spoke to Ray Ellenwood, the curator and also automatist historian, as well as a friend to Pierre and Janine. Jean started the interview talking about the term automatisme, which was coined by journalists, and as Janine Caro explains, it was a label that was not particularly endorsed by the artists themselves. None of them like the word automatist, and I myself don't like it either because it's very reductive. It, 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 it conveys the idea that they would do something automatic, which is completely the contrary. To be able to go directly from the unconscious and, and uh, do a structured work that will be plastically acceptable is a, is a very important, very difficult task. And we cannot imagine nowadays how difficult it was because uh, it's been done for 60, 70 years, you know. And, uh, but Pierre, Pierre is one of the very first in Canada to be able to do this and he, he had tried a lot and it, he, he could not finish a painting that would not have any recognizable object and some of his uh, works are um, Saltenbank, you know, Arlequins and if you look at the paste you see that he was trying to do something else. And the day he managed to do his first painting was coming back from the funeral of his father. The, the strong emotion propulsed him there and he was able to finally accomplish this. This was 1944 and he was uh, 21 years old. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the fact that Pierre, there is this commentary about the fact that he never really moved away entirely from brushstrokes, but that he, you know, along with his other friends who were fully in palette knives and fully abstractions, you're saying that it was difficult for him to move away from that. Yes, he, he did not like the palette knife at all. And Pierre was the most happy uh, person, painter, when he found acrylic. Because acrylic uh, was a synthesis uh, between oil and gouache. And if you look at his works on paper, his gouaches of the 50s, they are absolutely fabulous. And uh, he, 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 he liked the idea that acrylic was drying fast, and he liked the idea that it had a texture of oil, and uh, it was extremely productive for him, uh, the use of acrylic. Yes. And so I, I do want to talk a bit about you. But there was there was a time when when Janine was doing journals that involved photography, text, painting, sometimes all in this, all, all, all at the same time, you know. Yes. So that uh, there was there's a real kind of yeah, interdisciplinarity to what she was doing at that. I, I did eight years uh, of work every night, and that's a very strong discipline because you, uh, if you're in a rut and you do this things on block and yeah, no, that's great. 
And did that, so this multimedia thing, does that, did that play at all into the exquisite corpses work yes. that you built? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. We don't have examples here of that, but I did photo montages, collages. There are in the books, in the book. Yeah. Yes, uh, very, uh, even three dimensions. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no limit to it. It's just a meeting of two minds that are willing to take a high, the voltage on a rope. Oh, yes, uh, to, um, to walk the tightrope. Yes. To walk the tightrope. Uh, to, to, two people who are willi willing to walk the tightrope of not knowing what the other one is going to do. Or to walk the high wire. Mm -hmm. Yes, and there's always a meeting. Sometimes it's so powerful. I, we've done, Pierre and I have done at least 150 together, and we've done it with other people. Pierre has done some with real and wood, and uh, they're fabulous uh, because each person brings her, her own personality, and there is a connection. Sometimes it's in the the, the drawing. The, sometimes the the whole thing will be blue with a blue hue. Uh, sometimes we have one called close up because we did very very large uh, elements in, in, in them. And uh, I like to work on cut papers because it not only does it abolish time, but it abolishes space. You can ship them to somebody in Asia yeah. and you can it can come back and you will assemble it. And the idea is when two people meet is to always do two so that each one will leave with one. Oh, okay. That's so just a very personal question, but do you each have favorite pieces in this exhibition? Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, I, I want to say Pierre's favorite exquisite corpse of all times is the one that's in the window. Uh, and, and I hesitated to send it to Vancouver because I liked it so much too. <laughs> and he said, ship it. You know, so uh, yeah. that th that was Pierre's favorite, I can say. And um, um, me, um, I'll let you go first. <laughs> Speak later. No, I, I, it's hard for me to to choose one painting. I like the. I can't remember the title of it. Your oh yes, uh, uh, you will you will excuse me for. Yes. Janine's uh, vertical painting. Yeah, you will one, have one to excuse favorite. me for other things as well. And for other things as well. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, whenever I would get this painting out from the storage, Pierre would say, "You have to paint." <laughs> yes. Uh, of mine, I like this one very much, and uh, the red one equation for a Saturday morning. And of Pierre, uh, uh, Ray likes the the three. Yeah, the three. The the the, Those, the three and the, you yeah. know the ones with the with the glossy paper. Yes. Uh, they are they are crazy, stunningly young. Those yes. paintings. Yes. Crazy, uh, uh, immodest paintings. I just love them. Yeah, he started the show with these three paintings. That was his anchorage, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, of Pierre, I I really like uh, nocturnal uh, agape. Yes. Yes, that's uh, it was hung in the apartment, and uh, non-designated sanctuary. These are two uh, that I like very much. 
and that yeah, and that was Janine Carroll and Ray Ellenwood um, talking about automatisme for the show Art Equals Liberation, which is on right now at the Baron Gallery. That's baroncallery.ca if you want more information on that. And the show uh, started on September 28th. Uh, they had last week they had um, an opening, and it will be running until spring 2012. So check it out when you have a chance. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us on this bonus extended edition of the Arts Report. We talked a lot about the Writers' Fest, so if you missed any of our show, in about an hour or so, you will be able to get the full podcast, and you can get that from citr.ca. Just follow the links, shows, podcasts, and A for Arts Report. You should do it. Do it. It's, um, it'll be fun for you. You'll get to hear Megan um, say funny things. I, I try. We have fun. We have fun here, you know? We oh, try. So nice. There's more to life than just dry things. <laughs> There's also eating dirt, which is a reference you will not understand unless you heard the beginning of our show. Seriously, though, if you eat dirt, get that checked out. <laughs> I don't think that's a disorder. Yeah, I think it's called picantism. Picantism? It is. It's a thing. Is it actually a thing? It's actually where you eat inedible objects. It's like a stress... Obsessive, compulsive thing. It's awesome. a thing. I learned something today. Don't question me. I won't. I wouldn't dare do that. So I want to thank uh, Megan for um, your excellent books coverage. Um, when are you going to get a show? Soon. Yeah? Yeah. I'm thinking of names. I'm putting together a demo. I think you should call it the book, steal- the book report. I think I probably won't call it that, <laughs> uh, but I might. You just want to be. An, you want to maintain control over me. I want to, Yes. Control everything. It's a very dysfunctional relationship. <laughs> Enough. Don't air our dirty laundry on air. <laughs> um, also want to thank Ariel for her book coverage as well. Big thank yous to Anna here in the studio, uh, Jasmine and Jeannie. Oh, and of course, Jean, who brought us that um, the last interview there. So um, that's it uh, for me. But uh, do check us out on uh, Twitter and Facebook and um, and our podcast. You can find all of that right now at citr.ca. I'm Adam Janusz, and join me next uh, Wednesday at 5 p.m. for another Arts Report. This is the time on Arts Reports when we dance! <laughs> <laughs>